Okay, um, I think it's page 24 for everybody. Everybody have a handout? Anybody need one? Raise a hand. You got one, brother, back there? Yep. Okay, good to go. And uh, are you guys, is it 20, page 24 for you guys? Did you guys get? Okay. Where you left off last week with Brian. Um, Church of Ephesus. Wait a minute, let me look on this and I can tell you. It might actually be. Yeah, yes. Yeah, you guys, it's 22. I'm sorry for you guys on yours. Okay, page 22. And uh, now you guys, let's, let's do a quick review. Uh, I don't want to go over everything because Brian has over the last several weeks. Uh, looking at church history, and, and specifically his title here, which I like, The Bible Believer's Biblical Heritage. It's a very important title because that's what we really are looking at is our heritage, the history uh, of the church um, coming from Christ, of course, up to today and tomorrow. Um, he went through and showed you several things. The, the, the one thing I want to remind you of, or let me ask you, uh, what what... What's really happening when it comes to history? And this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, and I know you, you guys went through the first three verses there, the first two in particular, and saw this. What are the two things that are constantly happening all the time in history? Speak up loud. Okay, good versus evil, but let's be more specific. Yeah. You're, exactly. God has his plan that he is unfolding that he knows about, because he is a sovereign God. Um, he doesn't have to make things happen, as some uh, would have you to believe, to know they happen. He is so sovereign that he can give you and I free will, which he does, and knows what our choices are going to be and how that's going to play out. Okay, He's God, and we're not. And he's, he is doing something that he is going to do, right, regardless of whether we're on board or not. He just gives us the opportunity to be a part of it and enjoy the benefits, the rewards, the whole nine yards, so to speak. And, and what else is happening the entire time that God is doing that? Okay, sin, specifically, be more specific. You're right, sin, but where'd that come from? Well, now Catholics would have you believe that's original sin, but it's not. I'm not name-calling, but I, but I will be blunt and honest. Uh, original sin did not happen in the garden. Where did the original sin happen? Satan. That's right, Lucifer. When his name was Lucifer in, in heaven, okay? He said, I will be like the most high. I will sit uh, there. I mean, he wanted to be God, right? That, of course, is never going to work out. A created being telling the creator, yeah, no, that doesn't work. And, but the whole time that God is working out his plan, the devil is doing what? Countering. countering. There we go. He's trying to counter it all the time. Now, you know, this is, this is where, where you have to, to remember, is, is the devil, does he have some wisdom and knowledge? Is he a smart dude? Yeah, absolutely. Don't take him lightly. Don't play with him. Don't go deep diving and trying to study too deep. I mean, study and know about it, but, but be careful, Okay. Um, bottom line is, this guy, this is what I used to tell my kids. It's not you I don't trust. 
It's the 6,000 years of sin in your blood and mine that I know I can't trust. I can't trust myself. And that's the bottom line. Okay? So this guy, uh, the devil, he knows how to push our buttons. He, he, he has a pretty good idea about how God works. Okay? Um, he's, he's always here. Uh, I used to tell my church, first person here every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Tuesday, every, every night we were doing something every day was not me. It was, the, it was the devil. He was here to be a part of whatever we were doing to counter what God was trying to do. That's his job. And when I say the devil, I don't mean him personally. Okay? Um, there's, a, uh, there's a good little formula, if you will. Can you guys read that? Yes, no, yeah. <laughs> sounds like, this sounds like Romans chapter 7 all of a sudden. Um, okay, I can't spell, but that's all right. Okay, so... Uh, when it comes to uh, armies, you have the generals, or the guy in charge, for like a better term, the soldiers, and the spy or the espionage agent. And what are your three enemies in the world? World, the flesh, and the devil. So guess what? Here's the world. Here's the flesh. And here's the devil. All right? The devil's a general. He's not out here in the field, man. He's got soldiers everywhere. If you're lost here tonight... Uh, we love you. God loves you. Jesus died for you. Um, but you're in this army, whether you like it or not. You were subs- subscripted at, at, conscripted at birth, okay? Uh, and he sends his soldiers to do everything, and he's got his spies everywhere. Uh, his spies. You know who his spies are? There's, there's two sets. Nope. Oh, wait, well, you know what? Yes. I'm sorry. I, I misspoke. Yes. Devils. Okay, demons, devils, the Bible calls them, devils, and you know what they are? They are the, they are the um, intelligence gathering unit. They are the, uh, the ones that, you know, take the, the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, and all the alphabets, put them together. That, that's what these guys do, okay? The devil's not sitting in my house listening to what I'm doing. I, don't, I, I, I wish I was a good enough soldier that I got his attention, but I'm not wishing that on myself, just so everybody knows, at, at all. But those devils are there. Remember, the Bible says we have attending angels, right? That's angels God's, and that's angels his. All right? Hey, who's the other agent right here? Huh? Right there. Flesh. You, me, our flesh. See, while you're trying to do what God wants you to do, you're in your Bible daily, you're studying regularly, you're praying daily, you're, you're in the work of the ministry, you're doing all those things. The entire time, your flesh and my flesh is this espionage agent that lives right next door. You know, the guy that barbecues, takes care of his yard better than everybody, helps you if you're gone, he takes care of everything for you, and the whole time he's planning your sabotage. He's trying to destroy you. That is your flesh. Even when you are 
everything's going great and God's, you, there's these great victories in your life, man, everything's great, your flesh is still there working to sabotage that victory, sabotage what God is doing in your life. Okay? And when it comes to history, his story, I, I know Brian went over this with you, his story, what he's doing in the world and his plans and the, and the devil counteracting that to the best of his ability at all times with you and I as the cohorts at times, unfortunately. Like whenever we walk not according to the spirit, but walk according to the flesh. Just leave that there for now. That's how that works. So keep that in mind and remember that we're dealing with um, the devil, his entire uh, outfit, so to speak, his entire army uh, that wants to counter what God is doing uh, in the universe, uh, on this earth, and in your life and mine, in this church's life. Okay? So you have to expect that, know that it's coming, and uh, be aware of it so that you're not caught unawares. Right? Be aware so you don't get caught unawares. So uh, the church of Ephesus, I know he started into last week. He went over the, the three applications of Scripture as applied to the church of Ephesus. Historically, this is the first letter uh, there in, in uh, Revelation chapter 2. You might turn over there. Revelation chapter 2. Uh, I know he gave you the layout, and it's in your notes, I believe, earlier. Uh, I'm almost positive of that. Uh, that you have the seven churches laid out there in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. Is that right? Okay. So each of those churches represents an age within the church age, if you will, um, that covers from 33 A.D. up until... up until that trumpet sounds and uh, the day of the Lord gets started. Uh, so to speak, with the tribulation and then the millennium. And I know he went over post-millennial, pre-millennial, and all-millennial, right? Did he go over that? Yes, no? I thought he did. Okay, he did? No? Okay. We, we believe what the Word of God says, which is there's a tribulation that starts with um, the the Lord coming in the clouds for us. He doesn't come all the way to the earth. The trumpet is blown, and we are caught away. We're caught up, commonly called the rapture. Not a Bible term. It's a legitimate term, however, because it means caught up or caught away. Okay? Come up hither. In fact, is a, is a phrase you find three times in the Word of God in reference to, uh, to this in its three different times. Um, when that happens, the tribulation, uh, as far as God's timetable kicks off and uh, the tribulation how long does that run seven years it's divided into two halves the first and second half three and a half in each and at the end of that tribulation time um, is what is called in the bible and we're going to talk bible terms not christianity terms okay the second coming of christ the rapture that catching away that kicks off the tribulation is not the second coming he doesn't even come all the way to the earth. He just comes in the clouds, the Bible says, calls us up, catches us up, and boom, and we're out, okay? In the meantime, folks are left here. And uh, I, I know I've given this to you before, and, and I'm sure Pastor has also. 
some of this stuff is fancier than I am, and I don't know what it does. That's not it. Okay. So um, I like to just put it like this. Seven years here, and uh, we go up here to kick off the tribulation. This is real simple. Three and a half years each. All right. Um, we're caught up. What do we, what do we go to immediately? What, what, what's what's the first big event that happens for us? Judgment seat of Christ. Why? What? Say it loud. That's exactly it. Got to get ready for that marriage supper. So what needs to happen to us? Yeah, we got to be pure. We got to be clean, man. Uh, so the judgment seat of Christ um, takes place. And this is where Jesus deals with his bride, his wife, uh, the church, right? And this is the, uh, you got two kingdoms, what are they? Kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, right? So this is the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God at this time, Jesus, the Lord God, is dealing with his wife, the church, to make her clean and white so she can come down with him. Revelation 19.11 there, um, having a, a wedding, a marriage feast. Um, setting up everything all kind of happens right here and here. Uh, in the meantime, down here, during the tribulation period on the earth, um, in the kingdom of heaven, all right, God is dealing with his estranged wife. Who's that? Israel, okay. I told you I couldn't spell. And even when I can, I, I don't do it right. Okay. So that's what's going on during that time. And then the millennium kicks off. All right? And that's that seventh day. That's that day of rest. God always does things in sevens. I know Pastor talked about that, right? Does things in sevens. You see it com completely through this time period. You see it through the church age as laid out here. And, and, of course, he talks about this. Come back to Revelation chapter uh, 1 and verse 19. He tells John, remember, who on the Lord's day, was that Sunday? No. No, that's the Lord's day. In the Bible, when you see that, the Lord's day or the day of the Lord, talking about all of this from here over into the millennium, his day. Because, again, the Bible is about these two kingdoms. It's about... One person, God, in the form of Jesus Christ, getting his kingdom, and another one, the devil, who wants it. And that's where that whole counter thing comes from, here during this period, during, during the, uh, uh, the time on this earth. So, um, verse 18 of Revelation chapter 1, look at it. He says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and death. Who is that? Lord Jesus Christ, that's right. Look what he says in verse 19. He's telling John, write the things which thou hast seen, that's one, things in the past, things which are, things that are present, and the things which shall be hereafter. And that's in terms of him being in the Lord's day in the spirit. And then he gives you the definition of what's going on uh, of when John turned and saw him, you know, with, 
with the golden, the seven stars and the seven golden candlesticks. Okay, and that comes into play as well as we go through here. Now, the church of Ephesus is the first of these seven churches. In in uh, Revelation two and three, you have seven churches, right? The first one, which starts about thirty three. A.D. or if you want, or 90 A.D. I'm wondering what he using here. 90, okay. Um, and, and in fact, start right there where you started. The three applications of Scripture. Historically, this, uh, uh, this letter is written to the actual church in Ephesus around 91 to 96 A.D. Doctrinally, it details the events and circumstances taking place during the church age around the time period. And these are generalized, okay, around 90 to 200 AD. Um, understand this, when we give you these dates, they're approximate because there, there's no like demarcation line like everybody waits around, you know, like on New Year's Eve, you know, 10, 9, 8, and the big ball drops you're like, all right, Church of Ephesus, you're gone. Smyrna, you're in. Okay, it doesn't work like that. It, there's a transitional period like anything else, and so these are approximate. And inspirationally, of course, contains the Commendations, which I think is where you guys went over with, with Pastor last week. The commendations, the com, uh, condemnations, and then warnings to all churches at all times in history. And so he went over uh, the understanding, the time frame, understanding the text and the, common, the, the commendations where we went through. You saw that they were doctrinally sound. They loved the Lord. Uh, they hated the same things that, that he hated. Uh, but, he had, but they had a problem, right? They had a problem. What was it? They lost their first love. Anybody been here, uh, been saved more than three years? Okay. Have you ever been through that part, that time in your life where all of a sudden you, you realize, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not really loving the Lord like I did when I first got saved and I was on fire for the Lord and all that. I, I think everybody, most people go through that. Whether it's for reasons like this or we just get familiar or not in a good church, I, I don't know. Whatever our excuses are, and I, and I say excuses because I believe they are excuses. I know they are in my life. I believe they are in most people's life. Um, but you have to come to that point where you realize, hey, you know, what, what, top Gun, right? She lost that love and feeling, right? Yeah. Oh, I hate it when she does that. Well, me too. And I'll bet God hates it even more, right? That, that love you had for him when you first got saved, what happened to that? You know, you trusted him for salvation, and now you question him about everything else, right? Be honest. We all do. Um, the question is, what are you doing to... Stop questioning and submit, and what are you doing to get that love back? Okay? So, it's point C. Back up there, the com condemnation of the Ephesus church age. And uh, here in chapter 2, pick it up here. Uh, he's telling them, hey, I know thy works, thy labor, thy patience. In verse 2, um, come down to verse 4 says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. Get that thing turned around. And do the first works, 
or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now, by the way, that, that doesn't mean they, oh, oh going to remove their candlestick. They won't, they won't be saved anymore. No, that's not what that means. It means they won't have the light. What, what are we supposed to be? What, what are you told? We're salt and what? Light. It says, hey, man, if, if you don't get that loving feeling back, I'm going to take that light away from you. All right? Remember Psalms 119? The word of God is what? A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. All right? Have you ever felt like that? Yeah. It's not because of him. It's us. They left there, fill in your blank there under uh, C, I, or 1. They left their first love. The relationship that they had with Christ, the relationship you and I have with Christ, we're talking about your love for Christ. And to love Jesus Christ is to love what? Word of God, that's right. John chapter 1, flip over there. John chapter 1. And uh, because we're having some technical problems, I'm just going to read all the, the passages tonight just for time's sake and, and uh, convenience sake. Uh, to love Jesus Christ is to love the Word of God. Um, you, if you love somebody, what do you want to do all the time? What? Be with them. That's right. Be with them. If you're not in the Word of God, how are you going to be with them? Right? Well, but I, but I, I spend all my time in prayer. Oh, so, so you're the one in that relationship that just talk, 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 and won't shut up and listen to what they have to say. Okay. It's your choice. I don't think that's a good, healthy relationship, but, you know, it's your choice. So, to love him is to love the Word of God. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Period. You can't love God without loving his Word. Because you can't know him. You can't love somebody unless you get to know them. You know, this whole thing, love at first, I saw her and the thunderbolt struck, you know. The Italians used to always talk about it. Thunderstruck. Maybe so. That's called lust, okay? Not love. It is a four-letter word, wrong one, all right? Love means you've got to get to know that person, all right? Now, sometimes, and I know this was true for Lisa, and she told me, you see somebody and you, you haven't talked to them or got to really know them yet, but you're watching them, right? And a smart person will do that, actually. They'll watch. They'll say, okay, yeah, they act all good here, but what about when they're away from everybody? I always wanted to see how, how do they act around their family, um, my family, um, their friends, my friends. What, what do they act like with other people? You know, she's all sweet nothings to you, and he's all sweet nothings to you, and is just a rabid dog to other people, you better get away from that honey trap quick. You better get away from that poisonous man in a, in a heartbeat. Okay? It's not going to work. First uh, John 5, 7. Flip over there. First John 5, verse 7, same, same thing. And he says, uh, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now, I think Pastor went over some of this with you uh, in, in reference to history and some other things, uh, also opportunities that the devil likes to use or the Catholic Church uh, has, has used trying to say, well, see the word and take some, take some authority out of that as if they're the word. They're not. Uh, the word of God is what you hold in your hands uh, if you have a King James Bible here tonight. 
All right. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. Uh, notice the, the interchangeability there that the Holy Spirit of God chooses to use of the Word for Jesus. So you can't love him without knowing him, or without understanding these three are one. They agree of one. So if I don't agree with them, the problem's not them. Who it was it? Pat, I was talking to. I know you're there somewhere. I can't see. Oh, you're hiding behind Sharon. You know, if, if, uh, if somebody talks to a deaf man and you're frustrated because they're not getting it, is the problem the deaf man? No. And, and when it comes to um, our relationship with these three, three and one, then that's how that works, man. Um, I need to receive those words. And by receiving, that doesn't mean I just heard them. That means I hear and I obey. Right? I hear and I'm going to do it. That's what obedience is. All right. All right. Next next point on there. During this time, Christians began using, and here's your blanks, words, phrases, and concepts that are not found anywhere in the Bible. Okay? Um, that has continued on to this day, has it not? And it's something that that we always need to guard against, okay? Because even when people are, and we'll see a few examples here, are being sincere and not trying, you know, they're, they're, they're actually trying to lay out the word of God maybe or, or exhort somebody or encourage them or whatever, and their words get twisted, you know? If, if the enemy's going to take the word of God and twist the word of God and rest it around, what do you think it's going to do with your words? So make sure your words are Bible words. Make sure we're using Bible phrases. When you begin to deviate from the Word of God, the Bible is no longer your final authority. And, and that's what's happened. We'll look at this in a little more detail here in, in a minute. Instead of questioning somebody's theology, people were questioning the Word of God. All right? They were questioning the Word of God. And, and I'm pretty sure, didn't Pastor go over some, some passages with you that, that showed where, where uh, people were actually writing letters pretending to be Paul trying to cause problems trying to change things okay in fact there in uh what is it so he says he says hey um, my this is my signature basically if, if you don't see this signature then it's not me all right uh, so these things have been going on a long time why because they were going on before this back in the old testament trying to change the word of god all right uh, so, of course, the M.O. or the modus operandi of the devil, our enemy, is always going to be the same. And his agents is always, is always going to be the same modus operandi. Okay, no, point two under C. God tells this church that it must what? Repent. Exactly. Repent. That's your blank. Or lose its ability to shine as a light in the darkness. And that's a reference back there to uh, verse 6, actually, I believe it is. Um, in chapter 2 nope 5 he says remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of, its, out of his place except thou repent repent um, so yeah they, they need to change their ways and note this you've got a couple of blanks right here these deviations will eventually be the foundation of lies fill in your blank used by Satan to establish his counterfeit religious system. Again, 
how does he counter what God does? Well, he counterfeits it, right? You want to destabilize a country? Pour counterfeit money into it. Uh, you want to destabilize uh, a uh, business? Uh, pour in counterfeit um, rumors, if you will, which is what a rumor is. It's a counterfeit of what a person actually said or meant, okay? Um, let's take a look at some of the examples of this deviation, point four or I'm not sure how his system works here, but point four there at the top of page, I think for you 23, okay? Clement of Rome, and we're gonna look at some of these guys during this time period, all right? During this time period, there's several guys who loved the Lord, um, some didn't, but some who loved the Lord and did some things that caused some problems because of these deviations. Clement of Rome, for instance, Point one there, taught that bishops are superior, that's your blank, superior to laymen. Superior to laymen. Now, what does that sound like? And I know Pastor went over this with you. What is that? What's another word for that that he talks about right here? That, that say what? No. What, what he's doing by teaching that bishops are superior to laymen, well, look, actually, I wasn't paying attention. Look, look what's at the end of that sentence. Nicolaitans, right? Which he told them, hey, you guys hate the same things I do. These Nicolaitans, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, look down in verse 6. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. People say, God is love. He never hates. Man, you shouldn't hate. You don't know the Bible. God does hate things. In fact, I'll tell you this. You can't really love him right if you don't hate the things he hates. I'm serious. Go, go, back, go over to, right on Proverbs chapter 6. Go look at those six things, yea, seven, that are abomination unto him. Um, and that doesn't even include this one. It's very clear. He hates the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. What is it? What's that doctrine? I know he covered it. Okay. It comes from uh, a Greek word, Nicolaiti. Okay which is a, a conjunction of two. Nico, Nico, Nico. Um, what's that mean? Anybody? To destroy or conquer. Okay? And the laity, that should be real clear. The laity. All right? The common people. They want to conquer or destroy the common people. They wanted to control. That's what all dictators do, right? All despots. They control everybody. They squeeze everything out of them. They promise them the moon, get everything they can, and then whew, out on the ash heap, literally, of life. Okay? He, he, he equaled the pastor of the New Testament with the priest of the Old. Look at um, verse 6 in Revelation 1. He says, uh, he says here, well, let's start in verse uh, 5, 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Man, you, there's just so much there, it's hard to just go by that. And verse 6, and hath made us kings and priests unto God, Jesus, and his father, notice that, Unto God and his Father. Who's his Father? God the Father. 
which means the God there is Jesus. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay? So he takes that and twists it to mean that the priests were to be over everybody else. Um, big problem. That's, that's not how that is, is it? Now, there is a structure, as there is with anything. But there's, there's not, you know, he, and you know, I, I'm not even sure, I don't know this. I don't know the man. I'm old, I'm not that old. But um, I don't know that he was trying to develop what this turned into over the decades to follow, the thousands of years to follow, a couple thousand, all right? He suggested that the bishops are successors to the apostles, uh, which, of course, this gave rise to the Catholic doctrine of apostolic succession of the bishop of Rome, okay? Um, so here's a guy who, who preached salvation, by the way. He preached salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone. But he deviated here by teaching this superiority, which became the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Point two, his writings say that Peter was in, fill in your blank, Rome. The Bible never says that Peter was in Rome. There's nothing in uh, the, uh, what's called, big old 25-cent word here, extra-biblical uh, accounts, which would be just history outside of the Bible, which is not superior to the Bible. The Bible's history is superior to all history, all books, all knowledge, okay? Uh, but there's nothing to suggest that Peter was ever in Rome, okay? Uh, there is a, uh, in fact, turn over to Matthew 16. He's got that in there, okay. Turn over to Matthew 16. The only place we ever uh, know of outside of Asia Minor here that he was in, actually is a part of it, greater, uh, as well. But in Matthew 16, 18, uh, he says, uh, and, and this is in this, this spot where you have Peter's great confession that, uh, for instance, the Catholic Church uh, likes to use to prove their apostolic succession from Peter on. Uh, and here's, here's the problem. Um, start in verse 13. And we'll go quick here. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Very clear. Awesome answer. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. But I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so they say, look, Jesus said he's going to build his church on Peter. Is that what, they, is that what it says right there? He says, and upon this rock, what's the rock? Speak up. I'm hearing whispers. I'm not. What? Jesus? Okay. That's, that's true. But here in the passage, contextually, the rock is, is the confession that he made, not the one who made it. Because the, the, the key thing here is the truth of his confession, not the one confessing it. The truth of the matter is, hey, whom do men say that I am? 
They say all these things. Who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the important thing. That's the highlight. Not Peter. Not all these other folks. That confession. That's the rock. In fact, Peter means pebble or small stone. Okay? So, not a rock. Okay? The rock, when you go through the Word of God, has to do with the truth. Jesus. Okay? Very good answer. And that's, that's why he's saying, hey, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So, again, you can rest things around, but that's not it at all. But Clement of Rome, he originates this idea that somehow Peter established the church in Rome. All right? Uh, the Bible says that Peter was in Babylon. We see here in, in uh, uh, Matthew 16, 18, you see all this. Come over to First uh, Peter. Is it in your notes? First Peter 5. I'm sorry? Yep. First Peter 5, 13. All right. And, uh, of course, at the end of his letter here, he says, uh, the church that is, ba- is in ba- I'm sorry, let me start over. The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son. Um, so he, we see that he was in Babylon, um, but we never see him in Rome, ever. So, again, Clement of Rome is one of these guys who... Um, preaches and teaches um, salvation by faith in, in uh, Jesus Christ, but starts teaching things that are not biblically correct. Ignatius B. I'm going to try to go fast here. Uh, Ignatius, he was a direct disciple of John, the Apostle John. Okay, He is the first to use the word Catholic. Catholic, or as I like to say, cataholic. Catholic. Anybody know what that word, what that word means? Yeah, universal, okay, universal church. Um, He is, again, probably not saying uh, what definitely the the Roman Catholic Church has has tried to say, Uh, but it is a term that he borrowed from Greek pagan philosophy, okay? And you're going to find out that a lot of these deviations come from Greek philosophy, okay? Um, trying to meld these things together, that, that doesn't work. It, you, you can never take something corruptible and add it to incorruption in and have that work out, right? I mean, the Bible's real clear. Um, and, and, you know, it's real easy. You, you add just a little bit of poison, and guess what? The whole thing's poison, all right? It just, you can't do these things without it having an effect. Uh, He refers to himself as the son of the church. That's your blank. Son of the church. He wasn't trying to start a new religion. Um, People kind of took his words and twisted them. They're a little bit out of context. Uh, Again, he's he's a direct disciple of John. Um, He probably um, is, is referring more to the fact that he was brought up in the church and this is where he where he's learned everything, uh, but people have taken that. Uh, he is also, unfortunately, to use the, the, he's the first to use the word, fill in your blank, Eucharist. Eucharist in relation to the Lord's Supper. That's spelled E-U-C-H-A-R-I, 
EUCHARIST, Eucharist. And this is what the Catholic Church uh, puts on your tongue. And, and, and they, they also refer to the whole thing a lot of times as uh, the Eucharist. And there's a lot of things we don't need to get into there. But, but the Eucharist, in terms of a celebration, um, again, a term that is not biblical and is not accurate, uh, what is the Lord's Supper? Is it a celebration? It's a memorial, that's right. It's a memorial, it's a time of reflection, right? Something we're supposed to do how long? Until he comes. Yeah, until he comes. Uh, because we need to be mindful of that and of those things. Um, um, I always say papayas. I don't think that's how it's actually pronounced. See there. Uh, he actually questions the Bible. He wrote a, uh, a whole paper, a thesis, if you will, called, this is your blank, wrote the explanation of the Lord's discourses. Uh, he was a textual, this is your next blank, critic, a textual critic. Um, you, you know, if, if, if you go off the Bible uh, school or, or even here, we, we will teach you about what's called um, um, textual criticism. Does that sound like a good term to anybody? It, it never did to me because that's not something I need to be questioning. So I need to be studying, investigating, absolutely. But uh, criticizing? No. And, and, and this is where this comes from. He, uh, he says that Mark didn't write Mark and Daniel didn't write Daniel. And uh, this grew into a whole thing to where a lot of folks when you get to uh, the last part of the of, uh, book of Mark, which is already short, right, 16 chapters, they take those last 14 verses and they just, nope, those aren't even scripture, which is heresy, which is wrong. Epicurus, D, he attempted to merge Christianity with Greek and Roman philosophy. Put your blank there. Philosophy. Um, the, the word philosophy comes from, Philo, uh, Plato, you know, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, these three guys, and I forget the succession, but they're all disciples of each other, and I forget which way that goes uh, right off the top of my head. But um, again, we're into this whole thing of philosophy that's creeping into the church. And how many times do you, do you hear Paul warn us, and it's really the Holy Spirit of God, warn us through Paul, warning the church through his letters to them in Galatia, right? Um, in, in, Colossians, in, in Thessalonians, man, watch out for these, this philosophy, okay? Um, it's not a philosophy, okay? In fact, we, we use this term sometimes ourselves, uh, and, and I know I don't like it. I hope Pastor doesn't get upset at me, but I've never liked that term when it comes to anything in Christianity, in, in other words, anything biblical, because it's not a philosophy, this is the truth. So it's principles, it's uh, truth, plain and simple. It's not a philosophy. Um, Basilides, he, as E, he taught that Jesus only seemed to be human. And, and there's some other folks that fell into this also. Um, but again, the, I don't want to make excuses for them, but a lot of the stuff gets twisted. But this is what happens when you're uh, teaching and you start introducing things that are not biblical, okay? 
uh, just flat aren't. Uh, he, he looked at Jesus and saw he was so perfect, and he, you know, like he's God. He said, he couldn't be human. You can't be human and do that. Why? Because he was looking at himself. And what does the Bible tell us? Are we to compare ourselves with one another? No, because that is never, ever going to be good. That's comparing, no offense, but ugly with ugly. That's comparing corruption with corruption. That, that doesn't work. We are to compare ourselves with who? Yeah, Lord Jesus. Don't be shy. Be proud. Say that loud, right? Or however that goes, but yeah. The Lord Jesus Christ, that's who I look at. If I look at you and you look at me, well, then we can find something about each other that's not so good, and then we feel better about ourselves. Well, at least I'm not like that, right? So? It's kind of dumb. When I'm looking at the Lord, boy, lovely, beautiful, he's perfect, he's all these things I need to be. You know what it produces in me? And in you, humility. When we look at him and say, well, at least I'm not like that. Even if that's true, well, now I'm just feeding pride and division. All those things that God hates in his church and in his people. Look what he says back in Proverbs about people that do things like that, by the way, when you get home. Um, look out for that stuff, okay? He taught also, point number two, that uh, uh, Simeon, the, the Cyrenian, uh, this is the guy who carried the cross uh, for Jesus there when he fell under the weight of it, you know, on the way to the, uh, to, uh, uh, somebody help me out, what's the name of that mountain? Golgotha. All I could think of was Goliath. I'm like, it's not Goliath. It's a G word, but it's not Goliath. Okay. Um, he taught that, uh, that uh, Simon died on the cross instead of Jesus. Now, now, honestly, what's happening here is somebody trying to come to grips with what they see and know of God and not being able to explain it in human terms, which is the problem. You can't explain these things in human terms, okay? Yeah, there were. There were, see? And, and, and there were, while he's alive, some of these people are still, Clement of Rome is probably the Clement that, uh, that uh, Paul is talking about. Um, my mind just went blank on where that is, but he talks about uh, about it must be in Romans. I can't remember now, but where? Of Romans. Thank you. Yeah, Rome. It is Romans. Okay, good. Yeah, he's talking about Clement. That's probably who this Clement of Rome up here at the top is. Okay, so these guys aren't that far removed. Okay, uh, some of them were probably alive during that time. Now uh, F. Uh, Polycarp, um, Polycarp, and, and uh, he's just got a quick thing here. He said, uh, quote, here's your blank, faith is the mother of us all. And, of course, this results in the belief that salvation is through the church. This, this is what it was taken to mean um, over, over the years. Now, I, I will tell you this, if you read about Polycarp, who's probably actually the most famous during this time of, or well-known, uh, of the good guys, okay? But he says that, um, if you read the account, he's, he's not trying to say that it's the church is, you know, in, in charge. 
he, he's really talking about looking at faith and exercising his faith. He, he's, it's, it's twisted and taken way out of, uh, way out of context. Um, he uh, also was a disciple of John. Um, he was the bishop at Smyrna, uh, more than likely. He wrote uh, a letter to the Philippians uh, in which he exhorted them to uh, victorious living, good works, steadfastness, even to death. Um, he was not interested in church politics and things like that. Uh, he really had a heart for the Lord and, and just practical daily living. How do we apply? Like, like we do here. Do you need to know the Word of God? Absolutely. But it's important what you do with that, applying it. What does that look like in my life? Discipleship. Okay. What does that look like when I apply it? Now that I'm saved, how do I do this, do that? Um, his martyrdom, I'm just going to read you this about his martyrdom, okay, because it's pretty amazing. Polycarp, um, and by the way, we're about to get into this into, in the next church, but uh, he's, uh, he's um, arrested um, and condemned to death for not rejecting Christ. Uh, because the law was, you, you gotta, you gotta worship the Roman gods. Okay, this was a way of them trying to stamp out Christianity. Be, be quite frank. So it says this: Polycarp, the venerable bishop of Smyrna, hearing that persons were seeking for him, escaped, but was discovered by a child. Um, he, uh, after feasting with the guards who apprehended him, he desired an hour of prayer in which being allowed, he prayed with such fervency that his guards repented that they had been instrumental in taking him. That's what the Bible calls effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. I'd like to be like that. He was, however, carried before the proconsul, condemned and burnt in the marketplace. And, uh, of course, they, they urged him, saying, swear, uh, and I'll release Lee, reproach Christ. And Polycarp answered, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who has, hath saved me? At the stake to which he was only tied, but not nailed as usual, as he assured them that he would stand immovable. Okay. The flames, when they lit him up, on, on the kindling, uh, when they came up, the flames encircled his body like an arch without touching him. And the executioner, on seeing this, was ordered to take a sword and kill him, pierce him with a sword. And, and when he did so, so much blood came out that it actually extinguished the fire. His body, uh, but his body, at the instigation of the enemies of the gospel, especially the Jews, was ordered to be consumed in the pile, and uh, the request of his friends who wished to give him a Christian burial was rejected. Um, th this, is a, this is a man who um, was fervent, man, for the Lord. Maybe you're fervent for the Lord. Watch. Make sure the things that come out of our mouths are biblical, the things that we're saying. Um, I've been guilty of this, and, and, and uh, God knows my heart, man. I, I, I have tried, um, my wife can tell you this, I, I try to c correct myself when I'm saying something that is not biblical because I fear that it's going to get twisted like this somewhere down the road. Not that I'm a polycarp, I'm, I'm not. I wish I was. But 
man, we want to speak fewer words, right? These words that will really make a difference. Justin Martyr, uh, you know, we might say, oh, cool, good name. Well, he taught the doctrine, fill in your blank here under G. He taught the doctrine of baptismal regener regeneration. Um, probably the oldest of the heresies in the church that, that goes on to this day. And that simply means they, they taught or preached that uh, in order to be saved, you had to get baptized. Okay. Uh, he also taught that the logos of Greek philosophy is the same as the Christ of Christianity. Logos was a term that Greek philosophers used to define the concept of essence, mind, and reasoning of all people. In other words, a spiritual mindedness. And, and again, you still see this today. People say, well, I'm, I'm spiritual but not religious. All right. Well, I, you and I might say that. I'm not religious. I had a Dutch neighbor once um, from Holland, and uh, she's like, man, you, you guys aren't like other Christians. And she's like, I don't know. I'm not Christian and all this religious stuff. I said, I know, right? Man, I hate that religious stuff. And we're sitting on the deck. She's like, what? wait a minute. You, you hate the religious stuff? I said, yeah. I said, she, she said, well, you guys sure aren't religious, but you are different. Inside, I'm like, yeah, I hope so. That made her question. She wanted to ask. We actually got to talk about the, now, to the best of my knowledge, she never got saved. Um, but, yeah, I'm not, I'm not religious. I'm spirit, but here, here's the thing. Uh, my, my dad in faith used to say this. Instead of being spiritual and Christian, how about we just be scriptural and biblical. Amen? Yeah, spiritual and Christian, man, that's a big, giant, wad of nasty. But scriptural and biblical, man, uh, that's a different story. Uh, Justin Martyr said that anybody that lives according to Logos is Christian. Okay? And this, again, gets into uh, all this philosophy. Another blatant deviation taking place at this time was in, fill in your blank here, under five, Alexandria, Egypt. Oh, is that up there for me? Well, you guys are working, and I don't even know it. Right on. Okay, Philo, uh, A, 20 B.C. to 50 A.D., established the university, fill in your blank, of Alexandria as a religious university. His goal was to blend, fill in your blank, Old Testament Judaism with Greek philosophy. And he followed in the footsteps of, you know, the three stooges. Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, okay? Um, you cannot, cannot meld the world into Christianity and, and have uh, a good walk if you're saved. You cannot do those two things and actually, you know, and meld them together and actually win people to Christ, okay? Because they're going to do what you hear today. What do you hear today? Oh, well, um, yeah, I became a Christian. Oh, great, tell me about that. Well, I started going to church, and, I, and, I, and I'm listening. Man, it just makes so much sense, and I've been serving him ever since. Man. Okay, but, but when, when did you realize, hey, I'm a sinner. I'm on my way to hell, and I need, I, need to, I need out of that. And Jesus died for me because I am like that and took my place and rose again victorious so that actually I can believe what he says. When did that happen? Well, that never, I mean, I believe all that now, but, but you know. You know, it's your heart, right? God sees your heart. It's just, it's in my heart. I believe it. Oh, okay. Well, guess what? That's, that's when, 
Steve Fleshman, Pastor, Pastor Steve. Everybody knows Steve, right? You guys know Royal Sloggenbush? Folks here? Okay, amen. Royal Sloggenbush, saved, born-again Christian, Steve Fleshman, God puts them together in the workplace. They get to know, hey, we're both Christians, great, we're serving. They get talking, and, and Royal's doing his job. We all have a job as a Christian. He's doing his job, and he's listening, and he's asking the right questions, and he finally realizes, hey, Steve, man, you are a really good guy, and, and you have this knowledge of God. Steve, Steve and two other guys at this time are, are actually leading a church up north in Unionville and preaching every third Sunday. They're, they're rotating. And Royal says, you know what, Steve, I hate to tell you this, brother, but you're not saved. You are not saved. You need to get saved, man. I love you. God loves you. He didn't love you. You know, Royal, he, I, I don't, I'm not sure he could say something to really offend somebody and just lay that. And you know what? Steve will tell you. Uh, he was kind of upset. He was, he was offended. He didn't like that. You know, you know what it did to him? It got him out of his bed searching for Royal's house in the middle of the night because he didn't know exactly where he lived, knocking on his door. And when Royal finally answers in the middle of the night, he says, well, i got to get saved. That's what that did, honesty. Because he loves the Lord more than he loved his friend, even though he loved his friend. He was willing to tell him the truth. And he's a pastor here and does a great work, not just, not just uh, Friday nights, but every day, that guy. Somebody being honest. Somebody sticking to what does the Bible say. And that's not just, oh, it's spiritual. And as long as you're serving, no, no. How about the Bible? Uh, many called Philo, fill in your blank here under three, a precursor to Christianity. And so today, and it's true, many scholars today turn to Philo to find the roots of Christian thought. <sighs> I could have saved him a whole lot. We got Bibles under a lot of these chairs. I could have just given one of those. There's the roots, okay? Um, this is the problem with history um, academically. And, and you'll see how this thing of education was this next guy, uh, Pantheus, 120 to 200 A.D. He takes over the school of Alexandria, the University of Alexandria, uh, after Philo. He was, fill in your blank, a Gnostic. Agnostic. He believed that you could grow closer to God through education. That's the school. And uh, I remember when I was young, thought I was a Christian. You guys know my story, most of you probably. Thought I was a Christian. And, and I remember the guys that uh, said, hey, I, I, th I think I want to be a pastor. I think I want to do this really serious. I heard this in the church we were in. I've heard this a thousand times since. The pastor says, man, you really want to serve the Lord? Let's talk. And they pray and they talk about, man, you really got a heart for the Lord. Here's what we need to do. Here's several schools that I know that we can send you to, that you can go to, seminaries that you can go learn all these things. Let me ask you something. Is there anywhere in the Bible that tells us as, as the church to send people out of the church to go learn the Bible? No, it's, it is absolutely absurd, and I am trying to keep my calm. Because I'll be honest, that infuriates me because it's so dishonest and it's so destructive. Saying that, I know a lot of good people in a lot of good Bible colleges and schools, okay? 
but that is not their job. Whose job is it to bring people up in the Word of God? The church's job. This church and every other church that calls the name of the Bible-believing church, it's our job. That's why we have HBI. That's why the church I originally came from went through shepherd school. Why? Because God says, I'm giving this responsibility to you, church, not schools. In fact, when you look at schools throughout the Word of God, you usually see problems. And we won't get into all this, but when you look at Alexandria, Egypt, in the Word of God, you never see it in anything but a negative light. You may know what Egypt is a picture and a type of in the Word of God, by the way. The world. That's not where I want to send people that I love and people that have a real desire to serve God. I'm not going to send them there. That's what they do. So he's a Gnostic. He was not a Christian, by the way. He did not fill in your, your blank there. He did not believe the Bible. I mean, <laughs> you're going to find as we go further and further and up until today that there are a lot of people in Christianity who are not saved. And they are leaders. I saw, how many of you listen to Christian music? Okay, I do sometimes um, outside of the church. Uh, I, I do sometimes. Uh, I, I like almost all music except rap, which I understand is poetic and all that good stuff, and it's an art form, but I just can't call it music. I'm sorry. That's just, uh, my, that's just me. I'm not saying nothing about anybody else, okay? In fact, I know a guy, some of you might know, a guy named Toy. He's down in Florida, I believe now. Married, loves the Lord. That guy could rap about Jesus. It was, it was cool. Not my cup of tea. Definitely not my cup of coffee, all right? just ain't, ain't working for me. But I read an article over a year ago, and I've seen several since I've heard some. In fact, Pastor and I were just talking about this a, a few weeks ago. And I won't even say who, but some of a very popular Christian band group, whatever they call them, who I'll give him credit for being honest. He just said, hey, man, I, I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. I definitely don't believe the Bible and he said I'm not the only one he said I, he said at least half if not more of Christian artists are in the same boat I am crisis of faith don't don't really believe it so why are they still doing it money that's right it's a business <laughs> and and do you actually listen to the words see I, I, I love music and I'm digging on that sometimes like that. And all of a sudden I hear something, I'm like, what? Now the garbage goes out, not in. What, what, what are we talking about here? Ridiculous stuff. So watch out. Be careful what you're saying. I'll be honest. I, I grew up, you know, listening to 50s, 60s, 70s up to disco. Disgusting. Heresy in the rock and roll world. Terrible. Um, but I'll tell you what. I hear some things every now and then. You know, I remember a song I used to love and hadn't heard it in a long time. This is several years ago, and I heard it, and I'm like, Lisa and I are in the car, and we're like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Like, yeah, and if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. And we're like, whoa. Guess I can't sing that no more. Yeah, ruin some good music, man, you know. Uh, but that's all right. But I got a song in my heart, man. It, it, it'll get me through. Be careful what you listen to. Remember that song, Oh, Be Careful Little Eyes, What You See? 
That song right there, if, if a Christian would just listen to that song and apply it, would probably erase 90% of the problems in Christianity today. That's a whole other thing. But it's true. It chokes me up every time. Point C, Clement of Alexandria. This is not Clement of Rome that we looked at earlier. 1500 to 215 A.D., he is the first one to call the University of Alexandria, fill in your blank, Christian. Christian. Uh, he believed that just as God had given the, fill in your blank, law to the Jews, that it was God who gave, fill in your blank, philosophy to the Greeks. There are people that believe that in Bible schools all across this country and the world to this day. He taught, point three, that only the fill-in-your-blank elite, E-L-I-T-E, elite, elite, you know, tomato, tomato. He taught that only the elite could interpret Scripture beyond its literal meaning. Now, where have you heard that before? Anybody here spending time in a Catholic church? Yeah. Now, today, today it's a little different, and they, they, they do a lot of different things. When we were in uh, uh, Phoenix, you remember that there, there was a guy there, uh, Father, Father Timothy, they call him. He had a huge youth group. He was a, um, uh, not a Benedictine monk, but a, uh, I forget the other, very open, what they call liberal, um, pot calling the kettle black. But anyway, very nice guy, met him a couple of times, very nice guy, really connected with youth and everything. Didn't, you know, didn't do the liturgy, do all these things right away he just spent time with them having fun and then he would just teach them the philosophy of Rome and he led many I, I like the guy but I prayed that thing would fail because he's like a pie piper man leading all these kids down a road that goes nowhere I had a friend and then we'll finish this section up but I had a guy I can't remember his name. I worked with him at Reliable Leasing. And this guy, witness to this guy, we worked, he was my boss. And uh, I witnessed to him, man, he was just, I could tell just an internal turmoil, man. One of those guys that, you know, it's all calm up here, but underneath, man, I could just tell, man, there was turbulence, like the Missouri out there. Falling that thing, and you don't come out until the Delta. Seriously, those undercurrents will get you, and you don't come up. That, that was him, and I could see it, and I prayed for him, prayed for him, and witnessed to him. And, and I remember one time we were sitting at a restaurant for lunch, and I was laying out the gospel, man, and I mean, it, it was just one of those times where God came down, and I'm laying it out, and he's right there, and for five minutes, man, he just couldn't answer, and he'd look at me, and he'd kind of look up, and he'd look at the Bible, so put the Bible, I, 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 here's what the Bible says, not what Mark says. Here's what it says. And he just kept going back and forth, and he kept doing this. He didn't get saved. You know why? Because he, like a lot of us, went through high school, learned how to drink and party and do all that stuff, didn't learn really anything of value, got involved with drugs. His life was just in the pit. And it was one of his family members that reached out to him. He was Catholic. And he got involved in the church. And the church got him away from all that. And he just couldn't step away from his experience of 
the church save me from that to the truth. And he admitted, because we'd go back and forth. I said, I know the church says this. In fact, I had some books, and they're, you know, when they're, when they're books that the church approves, there's a seal and there's some things in the front that identify it. And I pull them out because some of them he didn't believe. I said, look, it's right here. Well, yeah, you're right. I said, but here's what the Bible says here. And I gave him the Bible, even his own Dewey Reigns. You're right, but he could not separate his experience to the truth. These deviations are not just, well, they just, you know, everything was fine. They just had a few things off. These guys, uh-uh. his teachings, Clement of Alexandria, were passed on to his famous disciple here under C. That blank there is Origen. Origen, O-R-I-G-E-N. And uh, you've probably heard of Origen. Uh, if you do any kind of study on church history, you're going to see him, uh, particularly if it's uh, in Christian circles, if it's um, worldly for sure. This is where everybody likes to go. Uh, D, the influences of the University of Alexandria are presented in the 21st century. Um, one, there is no, fill in your blank, no final authority. That's your blank. No final authority existing on earth because the originals are lost, which they are. There are no originals left. Thank God he promised to preserve and has proven that out. Point two, the influence of the University of, of Alexandria seen today. Point two, creates a philosophy in which education is the final authority, not the scriptures. And, and I know I've mentioned the Catholic Church several here, times here tonight. I make no apology for that because they are not biblical. There's a lot of good people in the Catholic Church. I personally believe when we get to heaven, there's going to be a whole lot of Catholic people. I know a lot of Catholics that are saved. Can't walk away from that church. Um, you, yep, see? I mean, I've known a, a ton of them. Um, there might even be some Baptists, you know, up there. I know a few for sure. But, man, I'm, I'm telling you, education, you know, the, the Catholic Church educates you into their ways and their philosophy. Um, the Mormon Church, you know, Mormons spend all day at church on Sunday, by the way. And they call them wards. And by the way, you don't get to choose the one you go to. They tell you the one, <laughs> okay? Um, but you go there, and you spend all day. They have a, a sermon, a message, uh, and then you separate into classes. Uh, you do all these, these different things, and they educate, 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 educate. You go to a evangelical school, even some good ones. I, I mean, there are some good ones, guys. I, I'm not... Throw them all out, baby, with bathwater. But education is not the key. It's not the answer. Um, and it's definitely not the final authority. Education has never agreed with itself, ever. Education has produced, uh, I remember uh, when I got, uh, well, actually, before I got saved, I started looking at these things, and I remember... Uh, there was a few Bibles out at the time. This was in the 70s, and um, a few things happened. The Living Bible, which is a paraphrase, but it's 
their excuse now is, well, it's not really a Bible. This is just, okay, whatever. Uh, but you sell it like a Bible. Okay, it's called Living Bible. Okay. Um, what's the other one I'm thinking of? The, uh, the Bible Answer Man. What, what's that? No, uh, NIV. NIV. NIV New Testament came out, I can't remember, maybe 74. And uh, the whole Bible uh, towards the end of the 70s, 78 maybe, something like that. But there were only about 30, 40 different versions. You know how many there are today? Less than 50 years later? Over 250 some. You can find a Bible from educated people. Man, for any, if you're gay, LGBTQ, T, I, I can't keep up with all of them. You can find a Bible for you. And I, and I don't hate those people, by the way. I love them. Jesus loves them. Jesus died for them as much as he died for any of us heterosexuals sitting here. Okay? Don't you think for a minute that you and I are better than them. We're not. Jesus died for them. And they are being lied to, and their emotions are being just pulled and strained and taking them right down. Not because of their whatever. The, I, I, I can't, just can't keep up with all of them but because that's just a way to keep them enslaved in sin. We'll be doing everything we can to win those people to Christ, man. Last one we've done. I'm, I'm out of time. D, the influences of the University of Alexandria are also seen. Point three, <clears throat> personal preference and opinion to determine what is the correct interpretation. You guys have probably seen this before if you've never been in, uh, in another church. A lot of churches... They'll read some scriptures or they'll read a passage and then they'll be like, well, now, Pat, what do you think? Um, Vicki, what, what do you think? Uh, Ms. Moore, what, what, what would you share with us? Uh, uh, James, what, what do you think that means? Oh, these are all just lovely things, man. And, you know, we can all take some of this home with us. Well, what if it's garbage? I mean, maybe it is good. But I, I, no offense, I don't care what you think about it. I don't care what I think about it. What I care about is, what is the truth of what this is saying? That's what I want to find out. So that I can make those changes in me, to myself, so that I can apply it. Here's your, here's your last blank here under the note. There did remain, fill in your blank, faithful members of the church, faithful believers during this time, Firmness that would not stray from the true teachings of the Bible. They carried out their mission to make disciples who make disciples. And there's a thin line of those going all the way up to right here today with you and I. Because sometimes it's very thin. Very, very thin. Okay. Um, we, got, we got Brian to the next church. Okay. So he can start on Smyrna uh, next time. Uh, any any questions? Anything before we go? Yes, sir. That's right. That's right. Right there towards the end. Thank you. Thank you for that. Well, and I and I probably influenced your thinking because I said I think at the end of Romans, but it, no, it is Philippians. Yeah, Clement. And that's Clement of Rome we were talking about there, the first guy that we looked at, not Clement of Alexandria. Clement of Rome was a good guy. He just made some, like you and I, made some mistakes. Um, Clement of Alexandria, boy, 
So uh, it's important, guys, uh, for us to study history, to study these people, to take a look at them, because what, what was going on there is going on now. And what you see in all these churches is still going on today. It might look different, but it's still there, okay? And uh, if you don't study it, then you're not going to recognize it. And <clears throat> we're supposed to be studying uh, for a lot of reasons, but one of them is so that we are not caught unawares, right? Because it's very easy sometimes to be kind of walked into something that sounds really good, and maybe you're at a weak moment or, you know, whatever the case may be in, in your life, and the next thing you know, you start adopting something that's not biblical. Not because you were trying to. Your motive was right. You, you know, I need to watch out, man. That's why you got to be in this book every day. Every day. Okay? You say, well, I, I, I don't because I don't want to come to it dishonestly where I just know I, I have to, not because I love it. Hey, I got an for you. It's better to be in it because you, you, you need to be as opposed to not being in it. Okay? So I'm taking that excuse away from you. I have used it. I used it up. You don't get to use it. All right? Because that's what it is. It's an excuse. Be in there. Because guess what happens when you're face-to-face -face with the Word of God? He knows you. He reproves you. Right? Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. And uh, that's what this is all about. Us thanking Jesus for true life and pouring it into others to show them we're thankful by doing what he told us to do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.